Hey, this is Kaylin Smith. I am the writer and artist of Plume, and you are listening to Soundtrack Alley. Hi, my name is Jenna Ayub. I work for Boom Studios, and you are listening to Soundtrack Alley. Hello, I am Randy Andrews, and today on Soundtrack Alley, I'll be discussing two Disney underappreciated films. One of those is The Great Mouse Detective, and the other is Oliver and Company. I'll be talking a little bit about the cast, the background on the film, and the awesome music that was composed for each of these films. There's so much more today on Soundtrack Alley. host Randy Andrews. Welcome and today we'll be talking about two of the very underappreciated animated films by Disney. One of them was The Great Mouse Detective and the other Oliver and Company. So first let's get into that. During the recording of Vincent Price's lines, animators sketched his exaggerated Shakespearean gestures and worked them into the animated poses for Radigan. This was also the consideration that Vincent Price, with him being in that role, they didn't want the rat to look haggard and malnourished. He became the character that he was on screen. Then, Vincent Price realized this lifelong dream to be able to voice a character in a Disney film. And he did it brilliantly. Also, Basil of Baker Street is named after Basil Rathbone, who played Sherlock Holmes in 14 different films. By strange coincidence, Basil was also the name used by the disguised Holmes in Arthur Conan Doyle's The Adventure of Black Peter. Now, John Cleese was the original choice for the role of Basil, which would have been an odd selection. Let Me Be Good to You was originally to be sung by Madonna, but the directors decided that this was not contemporary enough for the audiences to enjoy. After Liza Minnelli uh, briefly was considered, Melissa Manchester was hired as a new singer of the song, Let Me Be Good to You, and it was once titled Look at Me. This was also the first animated project by Disney to feature the voice of Frank Welker providing vocal effects. That was certainly different. Patrick McNee was considered for the voice of Dawson. And Radigan, who of course was voiced by Vincent Price, killed the character Bartholomew. And this was a reference to Price's famous role in The Pit and the Pendulum. When Fidget screams off screen that he's being fed to Felicia, 
it's not actually Candy Candido screaming. Instead, it's an unused sound effect for the Haunted Mansion ride, which is unique. And this was also the last film to feature Candy Candido, and it was released 13 years before his death. Now, Basil, the great mouse detective, was first modeled on Bing Crosby, but the animators eventually took inspiration from Leslie Howard. Now, Michael Eisner, he wanted Michael Jackson to voice the character who would enter the saloon and confront Basil and sing a song at the tavern. Perhaps he would do a moonwalk, too. That would have been interesting. The clock tower scene is the first major use of computer animation with the clock's gears in a feature-length animated film. It's the same scene was also first time with traditionally animated characters that were put inside a computer-generated background, which is pretty cool. Now, going back to the Let Me Be Good To You segment, it was almost cut because, though brief, the lyrics and some animation was considered too risque for a Disney animated film. The animators avoided a PG rating and got the scene kept in by appealing to the censors on the grounds that the segment was a cabaret song and harmless in the lyrics. And because the character's animated singing was a mouse, it wouldn't be a human and thus not questionable. Uh, Kind of faulty reasoning there. During the entire scene inside the toy shop, Olivia never utters a single word, staying true to Basil's earlier line, and not a word out of you. Is that clear? It is ultimately that vice president of Walt Disney Feature Animation, Peter Schneider, who made the decision to change the title of the film from Basil to Baker Street to its current title. On February 13, 1986, the office memo sent out to Disney employees in Schneider's name announcing the renaming of the studio's most beloved classics. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs would be called Seven Little Men Help a Girl. Fantasia would be receiving the title Color and Music. Jungle Book was getting its title changed to A Boy, A Bear, and A Big Black Cat. Schneider was furious over the memo and attempted to find the author, which was animator Ed Gombert. And he definitely <laughs> tried to fire them. All the other employees found it a harmless joke and kept quiet. Uh, there was a copy of the memo eventually landed in the pages of the LA Times, and all the new names were incorporated into the What's in a Name category on Jeopardy, which is pretty funny. Now, Alan Young had performed a near Scottish accent as the voice of Scrooge McDuck in the Disneyland Records adaptation of A Christmas Carol, which he also adapted and wrote. He repeated the role as McDuck in Mickey's Christmas Carol, and was natural for the Scottish brogue of Hiram Flaversham. Now Bill the Lizard from Alice in Wonderland can also be seen in the bar scene. I believe he ends up in another Disney film later on as well. 
Sherlock Holmes speaks with the voice of Basil Rathbone, although it's often erroneously claimed that the lines are taken from one of Rathbone's uh, performances as Sherlock Holmes on film or radio. This is not true. The cameo is edited from Rathbone's reading of the Sherlock Holmes story, The Adventures of the Red-Headed League. You'll have to apologize, my dogs. I can't control them. By author Conan Doyle for Catamum Records in 1966, just months before his death. This explains why Rathbone's voice sounds older and less crisp than in his famous films, and more importantly, why the voice of Rathbone's star, Nigel Bruce, was not used for Dr. Watson's brief cameo. According to the text, The Adventure of the Red-Headed League, this would mean that the film takes place sometime in the autumn of 1890. When Designing Fidget The Disney animators were focused on creating a scary yet comical and lovable character. They were looking for a raspy voice and chose Candy Candido, who had starred in voiceover roles in many previous Disney films, such as the Ralph Bakshi films as well. His own looks were used in matching Fidget's looks. Candido's deep, throaty voice was sped up to avoid Fidget's voice from becoming too low. Candido's original voice can be heard as the mouse shouting, Get off, you eight-legged bum! at the juggling octopus in the pub. As Radigan is ranting about how much he hates Basil, we see that he has a voodoo doll in the shape of a mouse in a deerstalker. The doll bears a striking resemblance to Basil, not as he appears in this film, but as he appears in Paul Galdon's illustrations in the book in which the film is based, which is cool. The first meeting between Basil and Dawson, where Basil guessed, uh, guesses that he came from Afghanistan and gives a complicated explanation how he can assume it, mirrors the first meeting between Holmes and Watson in A Study in Scarlet, where Holmes does the same thing. In Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes story, The Sign of Four, Holmes borrowed a dog named Toby, and thus the dog Toby appears in this film as well. Now the box that Olivia sits down on to cry is Gaston's liver pills, and this was a reference to the father of one of the artists. And production took only one year to complete thanks to the use of computers. It probably springboarded a lot of extra things that were going on at the time, and it improved even filming and animation. Now, one thing that's been noted in a lot of Disney films is Castle Thunder. It's heard every time lightning flashes during the storms in this film, and a version is played at slow speeds is heard a few times during the movie. And this was also the last Disney movies to regularly use the Castle Thunder sound effect. Starting with The Black Cauldron in 1985, Disney began trying out newer digitally recorded thunder sounds. Which is interesting. When Basil is looking for a map in his apartment, he unrolls one and looks at it very briefly. It looks like a cliched treasure map, but one of the locations reads downtown Burbank. 
In some parts of Scandinavia, some of the film's content was considered by censors to be unsuitable for younger children. In Norway, The Great Mouse Detective was banned for children under 12, which led to Disney not doing a Norwegian dub. The studio had also considered releasing the uh, releasing it straight to video, where there would be no censorship restrictions on videotapes at the time. Now, Denmark censors requested 30 seconds of cuts, while Finland and Sweden released it without any restrictions. This is also one of the few Disney movies that takes place entirely at night. There's no scenes that take place during the day at any point in the movie. Now, some other characters from other different Disney films actually show up in this movie. One of them would be uh, the Barking Howl that uh, is the same as Trusty's Howl in Lady and the Tramp. And the film takes place from June 19th to June 21st of 1897. This is also one of two films that feature cigarette smoking, cigar smoking, and pipe smoking. The other is 101 Dalmatians. When this film was originally released, its title was The Great Mouse Detective. When Disney re-released it years later, they gave it the title The Adventures of the Great Mouse Detective. When the film was released on video a few months later, the title on the box was back to The Great Mouse Detective. But the title on the film itself read The Adventures of the Great Mouse Detective. They couldn't quite decide which title they actually wanted to go with. As Basil was based on Arthur Conan Doyle's Sherlock Holmes, Radigan was based on Holmes' arch-nemesis Moriarty. And like Moriarty, Radigan fell to his death with Basil, while Basil escaped death. Now, Radigan is the second Disney animated villain to actually fall to his death, following the Wicked Queen in Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. Now, the thing about the score with The Great Mouse Detective, this was the first animated film Henry Mancini ever scored, although initially he was brought on board just to compose a Victorian British Music Hall-style song which was to be sung by Shani Wallace. His song was nixed by the then Disney president, Jeffrey Kazenberg, who felt it was too old-fashioned and instead suggested both Michael Jackson and Madonna as replacements. When the two pop megastars proved to be unavailable, they finally settled on the middle-of-the-road vocalist Melissa Manchester, who did a brilliant job, who wrote and performed the song Let Me Be Good to You. However, despite his song being rejected, Mancini stayed on the project to write the score, as well as two other songs, The World's Greatest Criminal Mind and Goodbye So Soon. Throughout his career, Mancini had proved that he could write staggeringly beautiful, memorable themes, as well as vivid and almost balladic action music such as that he would write for Life Force the previous year. Unfortunately, for The Great Mouse Detective, Mancini apparently felt that it was more traditional sounding with cartoon music that was required. It's still fantastic music, 
but it's a world away from the sophisticated and emotionally powerful music for animated films we often hear today. The score is anchored by two main themes, one for Basil and one for his nemesis Radigan, around which the rest of the music is built, with several direct variations as well as some allusions to the caper-like action music. Again, I apologize for my dogs being involved in this episode. I've chosen a unique suite of instrumental music from the film, and I hope you enjoy it.
right, so next, let's get into Oliver and Company. Patrick Stewart was considered to voice Francis, but he was busy acting as Jean-Luc Picard on Star Trek The Next Generation. The role of Francis ultimately went to Roscoe Lee Brown. Stewart would eventually voice Mr. Woolenworth in Chicken Little. He's also done a variation of different projects that were involved in animated films such as Steam Boy, and he even voiced a character in Nausicaa of the Valley of the Wind. Now, Dom DeLuise had already had roles in several other animated films, some namely by Don Bluth, who split from Disney. This was the only time he got the chance to voice a character in a Disney film. He loved the role so much he kept ad-libbing lines that ended up being included in the film. He even chose to be in Oliver and Company over Don Bluth's Land Before Time, which released on the same day, which would have been interesting. Now, one of these things, Marlon Brando was offered the role of Sykes by the head of the Walt Disney Company, Michael Eisner himself. Brando, however, turned it down, fearing the movie would bomb. Indeed, it did. Whitney Houston was considered for the role of Rita. Now, this is also a milestone movie. With Oliver and Company, this features the first Disney song that was actually written by Howard Ashman, which is Once Upon a Time in New York City. Now, Howard Ashman, as we know was directly involved with the films such as The Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast, uh, Aladdin, as well as The Lion King. These four movies set the standard for some of the best musical interludes in a film that led to further developments of the Disney music franchise. Now, the dog's dances were based on the choreography of Bob Foss. One thing is Steve Martin and Burt Reynolds were both considered for the role of Dodger, but Reynolds ended up voicing Charlie B. Barkin for Metro Goins Mayor's All Dogs Go to Heaven. The man Fagin tries to pawn his Mickey Mouse watch to is a The man who tries to pawn his Mickey Mouse watch to is a caricature of Peter Schneider, then vice president of Disney Animation. Richard Rich worked on the film as a co-director before being fired during production by Peter Schneider. Schneider claims Rich was belligerent toward him. When Oliver wakes up after sleeping on the truck tire, he sees people crossing past the alley where he slept. One of those people is Roger from 101 Dalmatians. The look on for the guy with the brown hair, blue shirt, and blue pants. Like many of the pre-1989 Disney films, the video release of Oliver and Company was delayed for years. Despite this film being released in 1988 and being a commercial success, it wasn't released on video until 1996. Man, that was a long time. Now, animators shot photos of New York streets as reference using cameras set 18 inches off the ground to get a dog's point of view. That's actually a really good idea. Uh, 
The first, this is also the first Disney film to have its own department set up expressly for the purpose of generating computer animation. And this is the last animated feature to use line overlay, which is also called cell overlay, a technique used to make backgrounds match the lines of the Xeroxed objects in the film. The song, Why Should I Worry, was later used as the theme song of the TV series starring Joey Lawrence, who voiced Oliver in the film. Now, early in the film's development, it was decided that it would be a sequel to The Rescuers. The producers then decided that the story wasn't convincing and started from scratch. The only things left are the New York setting and a few similarities between Jenny and Penny. Animator Mark Flood said the film and The Lion King are his favorite Disney movies. Also, Peter Young, who worked on the story, was slated to co-direct with George Shribner, but died at the age of 37 just before production began. Now, another character from 101 Dalmatians shows up. Pongo from 101 Dalmatians, Jock, Trusty, and Peg from Lady and the Tramp also make an appearance during Why Should I Worry? One of the few animated films to feature a front and center shot of New York City's Twin Towers. After the tragedy of 9-11, when shots of the iconic towers were being removed from many films to avoid upsetting people, Disney opted not to attempt to edit out the towers, mostly because it would ruin the film's original main title card and because it would be too time-consuming and costly to do so. By 2001, Oliver and Company had already been widely distributed on VHS, so there was no point in editing it. Many New Yorkers later commended Disney not altering the film because they felt it would be a good portrayal of the way New York used to be before 9-11. They wanted it left as it was with the towers visible. I would agree. This was also the first full animated musical uh, with at least three songs in the film, excluding the main titles, since The Fox and the Hound. Now, Dodger's appearance, which was the the main dog, uh, was inspired by Billy Joel, which ironically, Billy Joel sang the songs that Dodger sang. Uh, Many of the inanimate objects in the film were created and animated on the computers, cars, cabs, buses, Sykes limousine, Fagan's trike, part scooter and part shopping cart, a cement mixer, a sewer pipe, a spiral staircase, a piano, subway tunnels, and trains, and cityscapes, and even the Brooklyn Bridge. Despite his name being in the title of the movie, Oliver has no name until about 33 minutes into the movie. Now, the Dovermans, Roscoe and DeSoto, were likely named after Roscoe Boulevard and DeSoto Avenue, which are located in the San Fernando Valley, several miles from Walt Disney Studios. When Georgette is singing her song, there's a picture of Professor Radigan from The Great Mouse Detective among the framed pictures behind her. As of 2017, this was the only film in which Billy Joel had an acting role. All the other credited roles have been uh, as himself or as a lead in his music videos. 
The license plate on Sykes' car says Doverman. What a surprise. This film, along with Aladdin, are the only two animated feature films where Frank Welker doesn't make animal noises. And Welker in this film even voices Louis the hot dog vendor and would later fill in for voicing Dodger in one of the House of Mouse episodes. Now, Oliver and Company was a favorite film of Bailey Kane, a traumatized corporate lawyer in the book Bittersweet Symphony, which she mentions as being a film she went to see as a child when it hit theaters. The film, of course, is based upon the book Oliver Twist, only set in New York during the 1980s, the era of the film release, centering around the anthropomorphic domesticated pet animals such as cats and dogs. One of Georgette's many framed pictures also has a striking resemblance to Scooby-Doo. Not to take note of that. This film features two voice actors and actresses also known for their singing career, which is specifically Billy Joel and Bette Midler. Now, with his role as Dodger, Billy Joel only had one other acting role, and that was in Mad About You and Kevin Can Wait. Now, the music is composed by J.A.C. Redford, who does a great job getting the right feeling for the film and the score. He presents some excellent villain themes, the dog themes, as well as some great action motifs. The cues I'll present are Sykes, Bedtime Story, The Rescue, Pursuit Through the Subway, and End Title. I hope you enjoyed these, and this is the end to another episode of Soundtrack Alley. I'd like to thank Alexander Shebel for composing Soundtrack Alley's theme music. You can find his work at xanderscores.com. You can find me through Twitter, Soundtrack Alley, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, as well as Podbean. You can also find me on Facebook. If you want to get a Soundtrack Alley t-shirt, you can pre-order through PayPal and email me at transporterlegacy at gmail.com. I'm trying to get a good tally of how many shirts I'm having made, so email me at soundtrackalley at yahoo.com with shirt size and address. Anyway, I hope you've enjoyed this episode, and until next time, happy listening.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley, the podcast. I hope you take the time to review my podcast on iTunes or even listen to it on Podbean. With your review, it helps me get noticed on iTunes. Thank you so much. Have a good day.
Thank you for listening to Soundtrack Alley Spotlight. If you are on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show. Also, if you want to leave a comment, question, or concern, please email me at soundtrackalley at gmail.com and enjoy looking at my blog at soundtrackalley.com. 